Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. God's Word is comprehensively true. That means that everything that God's Word says is true. Everything. Every word. And God's Word is cohesively true. That means that everything that God's Word says coheres, it hangs together, it never contradicts itself. It doesn't matter which author, which book you're reading, it all hangs together. And so we've been preaching through Philippians, and we've come through Philippians all the way to, through chapter 3, and the amazing <laughs> riches of chapter 3. It's been really amazing. And we're just about to turn the corner into chapter 4. And chapter 4 is different. It's like where he starts taking everything he's been working on and insisting on and teaching in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then he starts applying it very particularly and very carefully even to particular people by name. So it has a bit of a different character. And we thought that this is a good time before we turn the corner into chapter 4 to revisit, or not revisit, but to, to take a look at the things that the Apostle Paul has been saying, but with a different accent. <laughs> a little bit of different perspective, a little different vocabulary, different man writing, and that's the Apostle Peter. So the passage we're going to look at today is from the pen of the Apostle Peter, and we're going to hear the same kinds of things that we've been hearing from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, but with some freshness, some little bit of a different angle, and it's, I believe, going to be very helpful to us. So let's pray together and ask God, before we read it, let's pray that God would bless his word. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would open your word to us. Thank you for the, the banquet that we have always before us in your word, no matter where we turn, uh, food, n- nutrition, nourishment, strength, sustenance. And we turn, Lord, to this passage today, hoping very much that you will open it up to us and feed us. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read to you from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. This, these words are like dense, tightly woven, uh, heavy, and helpful. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. This is God's word, it's eternally true. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, 
having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, these words are thick, they're rich, it's tight, it's heavy, it's dense. Some look at these verses and they say, this basically is a sermon, verses 1 to 11. It's kind of the basis of everything else he says and and opens up in the rest of 2 Peter, but it's it's like a sermon in and of itself in 11 verses. Don't you wish our sermons could be like that? It's heavy and rich and thick. Look at what he says. He opens up, introduces himself, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, and he tells us who he's writing to. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Now that tells us a couple of things about faith. Tells us that there's different kinds of faith, right? What kinds of faith are there? Well, there's, there's like pagan faith. People who worship Allah have faith. People who worship Odin have faith. That's a pagan faith. There is heretic faith. You know, Mormons have faith. There is... Hypocrite faith. Cutting a little closer to home. There's hypocrite faith. Those who uh, worship him with their mouth, but their hearts are far from him. There's formalist faith. You know, it's just all about going through the rituals, doing the stuff. That's where their faith is. There's demon faith, the faith like what the demons have. James says, even the demons believe and tremble. They're doomed, but they have faith. And then there's this kind of faith. This is the faith of the apostles. He says, it's the same kind of faith As we have, we is the apostles. It's the same kind of faith that Peter has, same kind of faith that Paul had, same kind of faith that John has. It's saving faith. It's the the faith of God's elect. It's the faith that reconciles you to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That kind of faith. And so he's writing to people who have that kind of faith. How did they get that kind of faith? Where did it come from? Is this the kind of faith, if, if Mormons can have faith, and if pagans can have faith, and if hypocrites can have faith, where does this faith come from? You just have to try a little harder to get the real thing. Is that it? No. What does he say? to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. This faith is a gift of God. It is a supernatural, free gift of God that he gives to whoever he wants. Not because he sees something in you that's good. No, there's nothing in us that's good. But he gives us this faith freely, graciously, generously, with an open hand. He loves to give this gift of faith. It's the only way we can get it. What's the basis of God giving us this gift of faith? How does he... How does he give this gift of faith to us? Where does it come from? Look at what he says. 
to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, side note, this is one of the places where, as if it's not obvious enough, it it becomes utterly and undeniably perfectly obvious that Jesus Christ is God. He is our God and Savior. Jesus Christ is our God and our Savior. And it's, he says it's by his righteousness that this gift of faith is given to us. What does that mean? Think about, think about Jesus Christ. He comes to this earth and he perfectly, comprehensively, fully, obeys the law of God. He does what you and I could never even begin to do. Perfect righteousness, not just outwardly, not just formally, but from the heart. Every attitude, every word, every thought, perfect compliance with the law of God, the holy law of God, the righteousness, right? And then what does he do? He bears the penalty, the the righteous, just, perfect penalty for not obeying the law of God. So he fulfills this righteousness on both ends, does everything perfectly, and then suffers for not doing anything at all, right? The righteousness of Christ, fulfilling the law from start to finish. And by that righteousness, Jesus Christ purchased for his people, what? All the gifts, all the benefits, all the treasures of everything that he has. All the blessings in the heavenly places, it says in Ephesians 1. All of them. And so one of those is the gift of faith. We have received, those all who have true and living faith have received that true and living faith as a gift from God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that allows God to open the floodgates of every gift and give it to us, give it to you. This is amazing, by the way in case you hadn't noticed. This is amazing. The freedom of this gift, the open-handedness of God's kindness to us, the very thing that unlocks all the rest comes to us as a gift. Verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. What is grace? We tend to think um, of grace, it's easy for me anyway, to think of grace as just like this disposition in God. You know what I'm saying? Like an attitude in God that makes him nice to us. It's true. There is an attitude in God that makes him incredibly kind to us. And that's that, this gracious, you know, kindness, right? This attitude in God. But that's not what he's talking about here. All of it flows from that gracious kindness of God. But this is something different because look what he says. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this is something that he's asking would be like, would expand and would grow and would multiply. All you math people, it's not just addition, it's multiplication, right? That adds up quick, doesn't it? Right, it's multiplied to you. So what is this grace? Whatever it is, it's not like static. It's not, um, you know, just a lump sum. So God, when, when God saves you, 
when God saved you, he didn't give you your allotment of grace. Okay? Here it is. Use it wisely. You know? For the rest of your life, this is the grace you get. Here it is. Here's your package of grace. Here's your deposit. Use it wisely. Don't spend it all in one place. You know, here it is. This is all you get. It is a, it's dynamic. It is growing. So what is it? What is it? All through Scripture, and certainly in this passage, grace Grace is power. Grace is power. It is the power of God. It is divine power, as we're going to see. It is the power of God at work in everyone who believes to make them able to do everything that God calls us to. Grace. Don't you want grace to be multiplied to you? Everybody, you all got enough power? You're fine? You good? Power to obey? You feeling all topped off and easy? It needs to be multiplied to you. To us, to me. What else needs to be multiplied to you? What does he say? Peace. These things always go together. It's all all through. It's always grace and peace, grace and peace. It's always grace first, then peace. What kind of peace? What does that even mean? There's There's a way of thinking about this peace that will not help you, it will make you fall on your face. Okay? There's a way of thinking about this peace that is completely wrong. When we hear of peace, we think, oh good, that means when I'm a Christian, uh, no more suffering. No more pain. No more toil. Lots of money. Lots of health. Easy going. I'm serious. There are, it, all of us are tempted to think that's what this peace means. How do I know that? Because when toil comes, when trouble comes, when conflict comes, when struggle, when trial, when persecution, well, whatever it is, when all that comes... We act as if this is the weirdest, strangest thing in the world. Where did that come from? I didn't deserve that. I thought God loved me. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. I thought the path, you know, of a Christian has no blood, tears, toils, or sweat. What? Have you read the Bible? (laughs) You know? It's just so so bad. But listen, we, we fall into these things. What is the peace he's talking about? It's peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that peace with God brings a peace of conscience. I know God and I know that he loves me. I know that he's forgiven me. I know that whatever comes to me is from a loving hand of a kind and loving father who's wise, good, powerful, completely in control. He knows exactly what he's doing in this suffering and this pain. And he's for me. I know my sins are forgiven. Peace with God. Wouldn't you like that to be multiplied to you? Okay, so how? How? 
Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You want this grace and peace to be multiplied to you? Then you have to know the Lord. You have to know the Lord. You have to grow in your knowledge of the Lord. This is why the very last verse, like the last thing the Apostle Peter says at the end of this book, chapter 3, verse 18, his final wish for them, his final command, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to grow in this grace. We are to grow in this knowledge. Now, what kind of knowledge is it? Well, you know, I hope, what it's not, okay? It is not uh, spreadsheet knowledge. (laughs) It's not encyclopedia knowledge. It's not purely academic knowledge. It's not um, just catechism knowledge, kids, right? I come from a, a background 20 years ago. It was a, a, a group of churches, a kind of church that, oh, oh, exquisitely precise knowledge. Oh, so exquisitely precise. Get out the microscope and the fine laser and get those hairs. You know what I'm saying? Split them down. I, I truly believe that many of those pastors and people did not know the Lord. We're not talking about what do you know about him. What he's talking about is knowing him. This is personal. This is intimate. This is we all know what it's like to read you know biographies of famous people you could read a hundred biographies of about Theodore Roosevelt or anyone else and do you know that man you know everything there is to know about him do you know him of course not his wife knew him His children knew him. Do you know the Lord? You young people, you children, you kids, you teenagers, you young adults, you who've grown up in church, do you know the Lord? I hear you. I I hear your excellent answers. I have the privilege of teaching some of you in Bible class. So I know you know a lot of stuff. Do you know the Lord? You have to know the Lord. Grace and peace will be multiplied to you. Power and peace will be multiplied to you. Only as you know the Lord. Only insofar as you know the Lord. He goes on. Verse 3. Seeing that, okay, so he's just saying like, all of that comes from this. Seeing that, what has God done? His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, do you believe that?
Do you want to believe that? Okay. Do you believe it? Hmm? Yeah. Help my unbelief. It's very, it would be very easy to glibly say, oh yes, amen, I believe that. I'm glad none of you did, actually. Because uh, how would you know if you believe that? So there's a, there, there's a, we, we all carry around with us two theologies, okay? Two theologies. The one theology is like the theory, the right answers, the catechism, kids, right? Uh, the, the textbook, you know, quoting the verses, there's like this, this right answer theology. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Oh, yes, let me talk to you for 12 hours about the sovereignty of God. I can know every verse, I know every argument, I know all the reasons why you're wrong. Right? But then what happens? Where are my car keys? Cancer. Where's all that wonderful stuff about the sovereignty of God now? Because you're losing your mind. And you're angry. And you're lashing out at everyone. You know? And you're bitter and you're complaining. And you're saying God doesn't love you and nothing ever works out. And this is bad luck or whatever, you know? So we have two theologies. The one that we profess and the one we live out of. So I ask again, do you believe that his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness? This is the truth of God. Do you believe that you're powerless against your sin? Do you believe you're powerless against your sin? Oh, so God's divine power must be generic battery power? Are you, has God met his match in you? The power that spoke and worlds leap into existence? The power that spoke and dead men get up and walk out of graves? Oh, but your sin. Too much for God. His divine power has given you everything pertaining to life, and this is eternal life, and godliness. Everything you need. Everything you need for eternal life and what always goes along with eternal life, godliness. Well, how does that come? Where does that divine power come from? How do we get it? What's the channel? What's the pipe? What's the conduit? What's the cable that gets it to you? What does he say? He has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. There it is again, this true knowledge. This genuine, intimate, personal 
real knowledge. This power comes through this knowledge. Not fact sheet knowledge. Personal, intimate, warm, family, deep, real knowledge. Personal knowledge. This is how it comes to you. It comes to you through knowing the Lord. Do you remember what we just read? Daniel just read to us from from John 17, the Lord Jesus praying to God his Father, and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is. It It is the knowledge of God. You must know the Lord. You must know the Lord to have life and to have godliness. What has he done? Look at this. What is he like? His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So God, this God has called us to himself. That's what it means when he gave us faith. He called us to himself. And what was it that he held up for us to see, to hear, that made us, you know, shake off our blindness and see? What he held up for us is his glory and his excellence. If you are a Christian, if you have true and living faith, the faith of the same kind as the Apostle Peter, right? If you have true and living faith, when you first came to faith, you saw the glory and goodness of God. You saw it. It made everything else like nothing to you. Do you remember that? Have you ever experienced that? Have you seen and tasted the glory and goodness of God? And even now, (laughs) this is this connection between knowing God, knowing, remembering his glory and goodness, seeing it, tasting it for real, you know, knowing it. There's a connection between that and even now, Our ability and power to fight against our sin and to grow in godliness. These are completely connected. There have been times in your life as a Christian when, for whatever reason, this has come to you. God is great and glorious. Maybe it's in worship. Maybe it's when you're reading your Bible. Maybe when it's you're driving, you're just driving down the road. Maybe you're listening to some, some wonderful music. Maybe you're just, it just comes to you. Maybe it's in the, in, the, in the midst of real pain, but it comes to you. God is great, glorious, and good. You've, have you had that happen to you? I sure hope so. What in that moment, in that moment right then, what about your sin? What about your sin? Does, that, does, the, does the sin that, that so easily entangles all of us, in that moment, seeing the greatness, the glory, the goodness of God, tasting it, really experiencing it, feeling it, are you like, ah, I think I'll go look at pornography now. No. I think I'll complain, be bitter, discontent, unthankful. Yeah. Glorious, great, good God. No, that's not how it works. It's like, you're, past, you're walking down the road, you're walking down the path, there's this mud puddle. But there's this fountain that you're going towards. It's a, it's a pure spring of wonderful, cold, clean, pure water that's going to quench all of your thirst and 
mud puddle? Oh, a mud puddle. This is how it works. God has called us by His own greatness, His glory and His excellence. And we know Him by knowing His greatness and His, and his goodness, His glory. And that is where the power comes from for everything pertaining to life and godliness. But he's not done yet. Through the true knowledge of him has called us by his own glory and excellence, verse 4, for by these, his glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So all the precious and magnificent promises of God are like the overflow of his glory and excellence, his goodness. And he just opens up and just, because he's glorious and good, he showers us with precious and magnificent promises. Why? So that by them, by those precious and magnificent promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Are we allowed to say that? That sounds crazy. Partakers of the divine nature? What's that supposed to mean? It's just what the Bible says all over the place, right? That we... God called us to this to make us like Christ. You don't become omniscient, omnipotent, you know, but you you become like Jesus. That's the aim. That's the point of all of this. Comes to you only if you receive this gift of saving faith Only if you have the power of God at work in you. Only if you know the Lord. Only if you cling to his promises and use them. Now, what are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? Everything he said so far in verses 1 to 4, there's not really any command It's just like, here's what's what's true. Here's what I hope to be true of you. What do we do with it? Do we take it and sit down and like relax? Some of you remember what the nesty plunge is. Some of you old guys remember the nesty plunge? Most of you don't. You'll just have to go look it up. It's like, it was a stupid commercial. So you, you just fall back into the, and like just ride the waves, right? Is that what you do with this? Let go and let God? Does all of this truth, power of God given to you? Oh, good, that means I don't have to do anything. No. The power of God, divine power for life and godliness means now, You can do something. And not only you can you, but you must. So look what he says. Verse five. Now for this very reason also. What reason? That God's divine power has given you everything for life and godliness. And he's showered you with precious and magnificent promises. And grace and peace is gonna be multiplied to you. For this very reason also. Applying all what? Diligence. That sounds like blood, tears, toils, and sweat to me. Applying all diligence. What? In your face, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self control, in your self control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness. 
And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. I am not going to go through all those words. Notice, it starts with faith, it ends with love. Do you see that? And so all these things, it's like everything in between. It's all of it. It's character, it's, it's godliness, it's practical, it's real, it's very personal. It's going to be very obvious. But it's not easy. You have to apply all diligence for this. And it's not, um, this is not like a, a progressive spreadsheet kind of checklist. <laughs> you know? Okay, I've got my faith. Good, that was given to me. Now what? Okay, let's see here. Where is it? Moral excellence. Okay. I'm going to focus on moral excellence. Moral excellence. Check. What's next? Knowledge. Okay. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Check. What next? Self-control. Check. This is not a progressive. This is like everything all together. The point of this is in the Christian life, you have to run and you're never done. The moment you think you're done, you're dead. You've got to run to stand still. How much more do you have to run to increase? Which is what he wants you to do. You get lazy, you're you're done. You get passive, you're done. Now go on, verse 8. Look at what he says very carefully. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you're never done. (laughs) They've got to be increasing, right? If these are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, think, are you useless and unfruitful? Do you want to be useless and unfruitful? Useless and unfruitful? You can be useful and fruitful. How? Well, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. That's how. If these qualities are yours and increasing, They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now this is is very important, this verse. If you lack these qualities... Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, brotherly kindness, love. If you lack these things, why is it? Do you lack these things? Why? He says it's because you, you can't see something in front of you and you've forgotten something behind you. So what is it you cannot see? He calls it blindness and short-sightedness. Got any blind or short-sighted people here today? (laughs) Take off your glasses. It's going to be, how many fingers am I holding up? What's ahead of us is the promises of God. What God has promised, he will do for you. When that gets fuzzy, right? Right? clouded. It's like, wait a minute, what? Why do I need to pursue these things again? Why do I need to fight my sin again? 
And the other way, way that we become unproductive and fruitless in this is by forgetting something that came before. What is it that came before? You've been cleansed of your former sins. You've been forgiven. Do you ever forget that you've been forgiven? Yes, you do. I know you do. I do. How does that help you? When you have forgotten that you've been forgiven of your former sins, does that make you really fruitful and productive in your Christian life? It does not. You think that the only way for you to kind of get better is to like work your way back in to the graces of God. And that will render you useless and fruitless because it will render you powerless because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace is power. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins? There's a principle here that is incredibly important and it is this. The only sin that you can really fight against, the only sin that you can really kill is a sin that you know is forgiven. If you think, I will get forgiven by killing the sin, you just cut your legs completely out from under yourself. I'll get forgiven by killing the sin. And then God, I'll I'll bring it to God. Look, dead sin, see? Number one, it's impossible. Number two, it's impossible. (laughs) It's like, oh, there's a song one of our hymns, um, if you tarry, tarry means wait, you know, if you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. Not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. You're a sinner? Yeah. Come now. Right now. So, he who lacks these qualities is blind. What are those promises again? I don't see them. Short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Verse 10, through the end here. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be meted out to you. Abundantly supplied to you. Do you know that you are chosen by God? How would you know? delve into the secret counsels of God in eternity past and try to catch a glimpse of some, something in the book? I don't know. How would you do that? He tells you how you do that, right? How do you know that you're chosen? Well, you are to be diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. How? How? Is it complicated? I'm not saying it's easy, but is it complicated? No. Practice these things. Practice these things. God has, one of the ways God has, gives us assurance, certainty of election, that's what he's talking about, is by the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. These are things that you cannot do on your own but here I am doing them. Huh, that's weird. (laughs) Where did that come from? I loved my enemy today. I killed my lust today. 
I was content today. Well, that ain't natural. Huh. You see? And in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Kids, teenagers, young people, young adults, do you know the Lord? Old people, do you know the Lord? Because you've been at this for a long time, so you could be very good at your hypocrisy. Do you know the Lord? Do you have any idea about the things that Peter's talking about? Do you have any taste of them? Any glimpse of them? Any feeling of them? Are you... Are you powerless against your sin? Do you know anything about the divine power that, by which God has given you everything pertaining to eternal life and godliness? Do you have any taste of that? If you do, increase in these things diligently and use them practically to pursue holiness, godliness, obedience, life. But if you don't have the foggiest clue about what he's talking about, you, like all of us, need to know the Lord. You've got to know the Lord. He's great and glorious, good. The fountain of life. with whom there is fullness of joy. Know the Lord. Know the Lord. You're never done. You're never done. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please open our eyes and fill us with your Holy Spirit, so that we can see the truth and know the truth, but Lord, so that we can know you and have power to live and to grow and to fight. Please, Father, take this word, your word, and, and make it fruitful in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.